0: What do design and neural connections have in common? Well, to Amanda Pingboripakia, they have everything in common. On this episode of The Cultured Podcast, get ready because science and art collide. Welcome to The Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey, and together we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Hello, my babies! Did you like my custom sound effects at the teaser? Crazy, right? This really, truly is a fascinating conversation between me and Amanda Ping-Bodipakya. She's amazing. She's amazing. And you're about to hear that. And I also, you know, after that conversation was left with so many ideas and inspiration. So this is definitely one that I'm excited to share with you. I can't wait for you to meet her. But before we get into that, I also wanted to give you a little heads up, Bebez. We are going to be taking a cultured break. Cultured holidays! In November and December, you will not be getting any new cultured episodes. We'll be back at it in January. New year, new episodes. What's up? And I'll just keep reminding you guys in the forthcoming episodes so that you don't feel left alone, especially in the holidays. That would be terrible. We love you. But also, it's a super busy time for my company, Frequency Media. We get pretty overloaded with production projects and content strategy and consulting projects. So, that's gonna be our time to really sink into getting a ton of work done. So, with that out of the way, let's talk about my inspiration for the week voting. Speaking of November, are you voting? Are you voting in local elections? Are you voting in state elections? Are you voting in primary elections? Truly, 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 like, we need to be voting as citizens of this country in every single election. Our lives are dictated on a daily basis by the people either chosen and put into office or automatically, you know, who get voted into office because not enough people are voting or they don't have opponents running against them. There are a few tools that I've recently discovered that I love. One of them actually has a Kickstarter campaign, which I am going to be donating to. And I highly suggest you support them as well, because it's been so fabulously helpful for me in all of these elections, whether they're local, state, or federal elections. And it's branch.vote. It's a free platform online. There's no app. You just go to branch.vote, and they break down, based on your address, what your ballot is going to look like, which candidates you have to choose from. And then they have these amazing audio snippets that break down each candidate's platforms and positions. It's really helpful. And then you can select the ones that you are choosing based on the platform points, and they prepare your ballot for you. And by doing this in advance of going to my polling stations, I basically roll up and it takes me all of five minutes to vote because I've already studied the ballot. I've prepared my own version of the ballot. And then I'm just like, bing, 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 boop, boop, and my vote is cast. It's pretty amazing. So voting is my inspiration. It's the thing that in the midst of a global health, social, political, and economic crisis, makes me feel the most powerful, frankly. Even though there is tampering taking place and voter suppression specifically in my state of Georgia in the United States, I am doing whatever I can to avoid that suppression and avoid that tampering, which is basically I vote early and in person with a mask on and washing my hands frequently, making sure that I'm staying socially distant. Our polling places here in Atlanta, Georgia are amazing. They have done a great job of maintaining distance, at least the ones in my neighborhood in the southeast side of Atlanta, So just, you know, do what's right for you. But please, 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 whatever you do, vote. Please. I beg you. Please. Inspire me. Please. Vote. Please. (laughs) And that said, I vote for this interview to start. It's time to talk to Amanda. Let go. Amanda.
1: Ping Bodhipakya, welcome to the Cultured Podcast. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, and that was perfect pronunciation. Thanks,
0: I did practice it. (laughs) We're here to talk about a seemingly infinite amount of talent, skill, projects, and creation that come from that amazing brain of yours. So why don't we level set and you just tell us who you are and what your art forms are.
1: Yes, I am calling myself a multidisciplinary artist. At the moment, I am focusing on a variety of things, including large-scale murals, large-scale sculpture, augmented reality, web applications, and digital work. And all of it is focused around this idea of how can we better connect science and society. And a big part of my work is also focused around Women, Because I think we are so often left out of every single conversation, whether it's, you know, research on our very own bodies because, oh, that pesky thing called a period is just too annoying to deal with during research studies. Or we're just written out of history because everyone forgot about us. (laughs) And um, that's a problem. Well, right. We're in a patriarchy. Right.
0: Absolutely. Where men's achievements and comfort and health are prioritized above all else absolutely and that's what's so incredible about your work is that you then flip the patriarchy on its head and you highlight the achievements of all those who haven't had the platform Or the recognition that they very much deserve. Absolutely, yes. So there's a whole lot that you covered there. And that's how I would describe the energy I get from you, I think, is like unhinged exploration. Unhinged in that you allow yourself to really, like, go for it and be guided by your curiosity, which I find phenomenally appealing and interesting, intriguing, and inspiring. You have had this, like, long career as a scientist, a neuroscientist. And... The very foundation of science is exploration, is a quest for discovery, and a detachment from the outcome. So like, even when something is validated through science, it can be invalidated or replaced by another truth, which I find philosophically fascinating.
1: It's very iterative. Yes, it's iterative. In the same way that art and design is. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Yeah. But you've always had both sides of your brain, right? Because you were a ballerina
1: for a while. I was, yes. And then you moved into science? And then I got injured and I tore everything out of my knee and decided to figure out, oh, hey, um, why is it that I can't feel parts of my leg? Should we maybe investigate this? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, when they
0: injure themselves, their first step is, let me investigate what's happening to like my body. <laughs>
1: Oh, I mean, you cry first, but then, and then you, you know, take a step back and you investigate. And that investigation led you where? To neuroscience, to, you know, how do neurons give rise to movement? How does the brain communicate with the spinal cord? And then how does that send signals out to our muscles? And from there, I started looking into, you know, how do our brains and nerves develop? And then from there, that led me to Oh, if I'm studying, you know, young development, why shouldn't I study older development and study how our brains age and how we can age better? What does that mean to you? When I was doing research, I was primarily focused on Alzheimer's disease and dementia and not necessarily on patient treatment, but just, you know, what are the steps that we can take to offset any pre-existing damage or, as I said before, how do we mentally age better? How do we keep our mental faculties intact as long as possible? I can name four main things that are pretty easy to do. First is exercise. Just move. It'll keep things nice and tight. Um, Get some (laughs) sleep Um, (laughs) because that is when our brains essentially, you know, do some self-cleaning. Take out all that old junk and also how they consolidate memory. So if you want to Make sure you learn and make sure you remember the things you learn. Just just get some sleep. I promise it'll just make your life and everyone else's life way, way easier. And then also maintain good social connections. Mm. I think this one might surprise folks. But as we age, you know, we just lose touch with friends. And we've seen this a lot in older folks where they just don't have very strong community connections. So maintaining those actually is not only good for your mental well-being, your your physical well-being as well. And last is uh, keep learning. It could even be a small one like, oh, instead of scrambling my eggs, sunny side up. (laughs) Yeah. So like these tiny little tweaks,
0: they make a difference. I'm getting, in my opinion, a glimpse into like the way that your mind works and the things that are pillars, right, for you. But I also think that they must translate into your artwork. You know, the things that you just talked about with a healthy brain, how does that translate into the
1: actual artwork that you create? I think it translates in the way that I think about how we go about having healthy brains, because it's all about, as I mentioned, these small little tweaks and adjustments. And there are many layers of understanding where, you know, if you just did these four things because I asked you to, cool, amazing. But also if you wanted to learn a bit more and delve into, you know, the actual neural connections of this research, that is also amazing but not required and i think when i approach my work it is in layers of understanding so for example if i am going to communicate dark matter with a mural there are many different ways that i could do that but i just make sure whatever visual comes out at the end is not only you know an empowering image of women but is also has little hints and Little glimpses of the science itself, whether it's, you know, oh, it looks like space. Okay, so dark matter scientists are trying to measure these antiderterons coming from space. If that's all you get, excellent. If you just connect dark matter with space at all, great. If you connect that women are doing science about dark matter, Great, too. Sometimes it doesn't have to be such a literal translation of the science itself. But I think in the process of iterating through, you know, how do we best storytell for complex topics? That's really kind of where it comes through.
0: Which is actually what I find fascinating about your approach and your split brain, if you will. Like your, you know, you really use both sides of your brain. And what I find so interesting about your graphic work in particular is how you balance abstraction and the feeling of the concept that you're communicating with actual uh, more pragmatic and direct translations and motifs surrounding that subject matter. And to me, that is a rarity in the package of a scientist, right? Because scientists can so often be so literal. Absolutely. And that's part of what science requires. And yet the artistry is clear when you look at your work. You represent the concept
1: through a feeling. I think it comes from my dance background because we are so often asked to embody a feeling. Yes. And, you know as a dancer, you're like, okay, so I'm going to try.
0: <laughs> you're right. So what's the choreography of that? All right.
1: <laughs> but you know, it, as you kind of mature and develop as a dancer, you, you start to to really understand it's about story. And it's about, you know, even before you step on that stage, like, where's your character come from? Who is this person? And it's about movement as well. And I think a lot of my work looks like an explosion of color and, in many cases, joy. I think you can always find the light in even the darkest of topics or the most confusing of topics. Totally agree. It's really about shining a light on the stuff that matters. I feel like a lot of the graphic work, since we're talking about it, often is like you you caught these figures or you caught this scene in a split second. It's like a snapshot of mm. something incredible happening. It captures people. And yeah. my hope is to, with that, pique people's curiosity.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. That's beautiful. By the way, is that your husband in the background?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm (laughs) sorry.
0: (laughs) Coworking is so hard. In quarantine, but also you're like a year into your marriage, right? That's
1: right. And we got married in Atlanta. In a science museum. It was so fun. Wait, which
0: one? Fernbank? Oh,
1: at Fernbank. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. That's amazing. All right. Well, you know, for those who can hear, that is um, the beloved groom. (laughs) So. (laughs) So, hi, Groom. Um, I mean, it is joy. The colors you use, the shapes, there is a fluidity to your design work. Taking it a little bit further back, did you ever have a family member who experienced any kind of neurological disease?
1: More psychological versus actually cellular damage. But, you know, we all experience damage to our brain, even if we're fully functional, till the day we pass. And I think what was so interesting in the research that we were doing at the lab was that—this is kind of gross, so I apologize, but— Bring it. When we autopsy folks' brains, sometimes we would see the same level of damage in two brains, but one person, physiologically and in terms of mental capacity, was pretty much with it until the day they passed. And we wondered, why is that? You know, what are the protective measures that perhaps this person had taken to— fortify their brains so that their brains could rewire around the parts of damage Mm, and essentially be fully functional. I think our brains are amazing. What's your favorite part of the brain? I think my favorite part of the brain is the amygdala because it governs your fight or flight response. Fear can be such a driver, but also it can be Such a hindrance. Mm. And it's just a very complex and complicated part of the brain that I have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with. I was a very timid child, which you would not expect from the kind of adult that I am. There aren't very many things that I do that are quiet and shy anymore. But, you know, (laughs) it, it took a lot of time to truly understand why I was being quiet and shy. And it was a fear of failure, when I was growing up, a nickname of mine was Miss Perfect because I wow. got good grids. I was always teacher's pet. I was like that annoying kid that killed every curve. <laughs> um, and I was most often the only person of color in the room. Hmm. So it was it was challenging, I think. And I think I had a turning point when I got injured because it was this realization that No matter how much you plan for your life, no matter how many things you do that are in accordance with that plan, life can just hit you in the face and it's going to do what it's going to do. And at that moment, I decided that, you know what, what's the point of being scared? How did you get there? That's a really life-altering moment for you. I think... In many ways, I had already been feeling like the path that I was on was a bit of a drain. And I was continually pushing through things that I didn't necessarily enjoy, but perhaps I was good at. So I think embracing what you love and embracing the truest form of yourself is hard because there's societal pressure, there is familial pressure, your own vision for your life and yourself. And sometimes we outgrow those stories and that process of shedding is hard, but
0: so important. So important and also brave. Anyone who's a high achiever has been through that. I certainly have. Of course. And you can't actually create the juicy stuff the crazy, crazy stuff that, like, makes our world interesting <laughs> unless you've shed that need to be perfect. You can't make those things if you're afraid of <laughs> failure. <laughs> like, oh,
1: that is so true.
0: They're experiments, right? And even in science,
1: it's you, you risk failure, right? Absolutely. And I think we can all take inspiration from scientists in that way as creatives because they never go in thinking, oh, this will be just mm, perfect. They always <laughs> yeah. go in thinking, you know what? This is a huge gamble, but we're going to spend millions of dollars on this huge gamble and see what comes out. I'm like, yeah, let's do that.
0: And no matter what the answer is, you've won because you've won an answer. Right.
1: I, to be, to it's a little different because funding structures and all that. But um, <laughs> right, so you're saying I'm
0: oversimplifying the, the very complex scientific industry <laughs>
1: um, but I mean, just even finding support for your work, right i'm I feel very grateful that I do explore a variety of disciplines and a variety of subjects, so I'm able to garner support for my work in a variety of different areas, which helps me diversify and find funding for all of these big initiatives that I start and I dream up. I'm in the, the rare lucky position that scientific and technological institutions often fund my work, which means they get well-funded. So instead of, you know, getting a grant for four digits, I'm getting like a six-digit grant for work.
0: And that's important to acknowledge. It's very important to acknowledge, but I also would argue that it's not luck at all. It seems like you've really aligned with your purpose and you are aligned with your creative and ambitious truth. I mean, you've got a plethora of projects going on right now. Walk us through everything that you've got going on.
1: Okay. So my ongoing project that celebrates badass women in STEM because I love them and believe they should continually be celebrated is called beyond curie and it lives online so you can always see it at beyond curie.com but for a long time and probably forever it will be shown at the museum of natural sciences in raleigh so they dedicate an entire east wing to it and i'm so grateful oh for their partnership
0: congratulations
1: thank you and you know it's it's like before our global crisis they were having over a million folks come through and see it every year. So I am you know, counting down the days until it can reopen and folks can come and enjoy that. What did that feel like? I think that touching people's lives is the most important impact metric for me, because you can get a bunch of glowing reviews, you can get written up in the press, You can get to exhibit in a fancy gallery, but that doesn't mean you'll touch someone's life. There's just a moment that I remember so vividly, actually, from another one of my projects. It was a solo exhibition called Connective Tissue in a 4,800-square-foot space in Vegas. I was there for, I think, an artist talk, and this group of little girls came up to me and said, you know, this is our first time at a museum, any kind of museum, and we were... So excited to be able to touch and play with all the things and understand your thinking behind things. But also, we didn't know that women could be scientists. What? And that just blew my mind. Of course, they're from, like, you know, small rural towns. But still, like, the fact that they came to my show, the wonder that they experienced of all of these new and different ideas. You, like without a doubt, changed their lives. I'm I'm so excited to see what they do now that they know and now that they sort of um have accessed their internal power. What I love
0: about the butterfly effect and interconnectivity that is all of life is that even if they don't become scientists, right? It doesn't have to be such a one-to-one thing. All you've done is now plant a seed within them that they can plant in other people. So even as they're talking to girlfriends as they get older, it's like, well, have you ever thought about being a scientist? Have you ever thought about being a mathematician? You know, those moments where all of a sudden they're carrying on conversations with an expanded view because of you. Well, thank you
1: for saying that. And I I completely agree about connectivity and the butterfly effect. And my goal has never been to make more scientists. You know, it's I just want everyone to have... (laughs) A unique relationship with science. Because whatever that is, whether it's, oh, I learned a fun fact and I'll tell a friend. Or it's, you know what, I have seen that this pathway is open to me and I'm going to pursue it. It's all positive. Like our scientific literacy is so low. And there's such distrust of science and scientists. It's like why people don't walk around with masks. And masks themselves have become incredibly politicized and
0: everything is everything, everything is. is
1: we're in a we're in an absolute
0: moment of bubbling over division i believe to be a pendulum swing moment because mm-hmm. i'm an optimist realistic <laughs> optimist <laughs> but i'm an I. optimist <laughs> and i do think that we needed this bubbling over but it it must be difficult for you and for other scientists especially those who are not in the thick of it um to to observe this and be like oh my god The amount of work that we do to, like, bring you good information and you're over here like, nah, my freedom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I think this is in many ways why I have shifted over the years from focusing on translating complex science to sparking wonder in science. Wow. Because... I think that's important. I think, you know, you have to meet people where they are. And as I've done the work, I've learned from putting in front of different audiences how the science communication community is often an echo chamber. It's like, yeah, everyone here cares about science and they love it. Of course, they're going to get what you're saying and they're going to be all about it. But what about everyone else? Can I create parallels that they can access and they can relate to So a new project that I'm tackling is a mural series across the United States that celebrates women and science and is going to be AR enabled so that in case you can't go to the mural itself, because, hey, we're in a pandemic, you can (laughs) uh, see it in AR in your... Classroom, in your home, wherever you are. Oh my God. I'm working with this condensed matter physicist at the University of Illinois, Urbana Champaign. She's amazing. Her name is Nadia Mason. Um, Look her up. But I will. (laughs) Physicists are like my celebrities, (laughs) like my superheroes. (laughs) And she's so chill. And honestly, all the scientists that I am collaborating with are so chill and so cool. And you would never know how superstar level they are in their field mm. because of how humble and down to earth and wonderful they are as humans. A couple of weeks ago, we got on the phone and we're like, okay, we're going to create this mural, but I need a story that will help people access your work. So I threw out some stuff about electron orbitals and how they might come together. And she was like, no, 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 no. When electrons are in their orbitals, they're kind of inert in a way. They can't really kind of touch each other and create any kind of magic. But when they break out of those orbitals, they create this sort of, like, magical sea that can conduct electricity. And I was like, oh, my God, the electrons are women. Women who break beyond the bounds, reach out for each other, connect with each other, and then make magic. That's the metaphor. Oh, my God, amazing. (laughs) So, you know, I— like, these these moments of conversation where I'm just like, yes, that's the thing. Yes, It's just a feeling of excitement and joy when, you know, we can come together from different perspectives, from different fields, and just align on a story that is so universal. It's, yes. like, universal from the perspective of, yeah, like, the stuff that she studies, that's why you have a phone, and you can, you know— use it all the time. (laughs) Like that's her research right there. But also just the women that uphold our society, you know, they just keep shit running. They're kind of like dark matter. You never see them, but without them, the galaxy would just spin out. Yes. uh, And that's where your
0: artistic brain comes in in these conversations to interpret in a more abstract
1: way. Okay. So this mural project, what is it called? Uh, It's called Findings. So I'm partnering with the Heising-Simons Foundation, and they're this wonderful group of people who fund everything from social justice to scientific research, specifically in the physical sciences. So think astrophysicists,
0: astronomers. Oh God, I love um, them.
1: <laughs> climate scientists, oceanographers, you know, just like very interesting in the field science oftentimes mm. and God, these women are so badass and cool. I, I specifically asked to work only with women grantees. Oh, my God. I love you. <laughs> because I'm just like, you know what? There's been enough celebration of, you know, the the typical white male scientists that we know and celebrate and have celebrated for generations. It's time for this new crowd to shine. Yes.
0: Yes. I completely agree with you.
1: Wow, 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 wow. So you have foundation support. Yes. And we are finding locations in different cities. Um, So we're looking at New York City, of course. I'm pushing for Brooklyn. I know we're definitely going to San Diego. That's where one of my lovely climate scientists is based. Her name is Fiamma Straneo. I may be butchering her last name. I feel really bad. But <laughs> she is absolutely like a superstar in her field. And what she does is study this fjord in Greenland. So in this fjord, she's studying the relationship between the ice sheet and the sea. And, you know, as she was talking about this research, I was like, you know what? I feel like it's like the ice and the sea Are these two forces that are having a conversation, but you can't tell what they're saying. And you're trying to understand what they're saying so that you can extrapolate a broader and more accurate climate model for our whole planet. She was like, yeah, that's that's basically it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's it. That's what I'm going to make an image of. God, that's amazing. I'm so excited for folks to experience not only the imagery, but also the story behind, you know, how she goes into the poles. And then she hires this fisherman's boat, goes out, you know, into the icy water, into the fjord and collects measurements. And, you know, there's just like, you know, ice falling. You don't know if the boat's going to tip over. the, The weather might be bad. There's just like so much drama, honestly. She needs a show. National Geographic and, and, you know, PBS, Scientific American, they've all shot her work. So she's, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's out there. She's out there.
0: (laughs) She's had cameras around.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's had cameras around. So how
0: many murals are you going to end up doing in in different cities?
1: We're thinking uh, six to ten. But, you know, things could change depending on funding and, of course, COVID and all the things. What else do you have going on right now? I think a lot of artists, myself included, are essentially shifting their perspective on how their work lives in the world because of COVID, because, you know, a lot of galleries are not open. At least for myself, I'm focusing more on public art. There's just more accessibility. It's not gated. It is part of the infrastructure of a city and a community. And I really love that aspect of it. I'm finding my joy more
0: than ever through artists like you and or learning, you know, like people exchanging anti-racist learnings Mm -hmm. or education or finally speaking out against white supremacy and the patriarchy. And that brings me joy too.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's totally joyous. And I think the arts community in order to thrive needs all kinds, you know, not just artists. We need allies and champions and we need everyone. We need everyone who's in this world. I'm grateful for folks like you who believe in the arts, are creatives, uplift other creatives, specifically, you know, people of color and women. We love to see it. Yeah, I agree. And I appreciate
0: your focus on joy as well. So why don't you tell us where we can find out more about you and connect with you online?
1: Of course. So you can follow me on Instagram at a long last name. Just spell that out a long last name. It's also my handle on Twitter. And you can also find me at a long last which is my website. I love how easy you make that. And it's smart. You know, here's the thing about long last names for Thai folks. I recently found out that we have long last names and unique long last names because we just want to have unique last names. Like in Thailand, you just kind of like change a couple letters if you find out someone else has your last name. You're like tack on stuff and you're like, our neighbors have our same last name. No, 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 that can't be. Really? We're, you know, we're going to add some syllables to it. I had no
0: idea. And that is such an interesting approach because I've actually never heard of a culture that is like about creativity and being like a
1: unique set of people on this planet which is you know honestly even if that is not the true reason i love this explanation (laughs) let's
0: just make it true (laughs) it's true thank you so much amanda this has been a true honor and a privilege
1: and a joy so thank you for being uncultured it has been such a joy to talk to you. I, I could keep this convo going, honestly. If I didn't have other meetings today, I, we would still be on the 100%. Phone. In <laughs> fact, I should just cut it here and just we'll pretend like we went on
0: for three more hours. <laughs> well, my brain feels bigger thanks to this conversation. So thank you, Amanda. We love you. And I love you, Cultured Crew. Until next time, you know what to do. Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cultured! Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer and we're recording in Atlanta, Georgia.